Whoa, I don't think I even want to hear your story. All of you must hear the Scarlet Spider story. My name is Ben Riley. I'm related to this reality's Peter Parker. How? I'm his clone. Or maybe he's my clone. We're not sure. I'm the real Spider-Man. I don't know what kind of mind game this is, but I'm the real Spider-Man. The real Peter Parker. You see? I thought I was that clone. I tried to stay out of Peter's life by taking on a new identity. I dyed my hair, changed my name to Ben Riley. When I became a costume hero of the Scarlet Spider, it really made him angry. But the next big blow came from Dr. Kurt Connors. He discovered that, according to our genetic structures, it might be Peter who was the clone, not me. That news pushed Peter Parker over the edge. Now he hated me with a passion. This is starting to sound like a bad comic book plot. It gets worse. Why didn't you just tell me I was a clone? The cloning process has proven unstable. You're coming apart. Welcome back to Clone Saga Chronicles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner, your friendly neighborhood host, and it's another solo effort uh, by yours truly. And uh, in this episode, be covering. Uh, so we're going to be covering a myriad of issues this particular episode. We're going to be covering what if the Scarlet Spider killed Spider-Man. That's issue 86 of What If Volume 2. We'll be covering uh, What If Volume 1, number 30. What if the Spider-Man's clone had lived? We'll be also be covering Spider-Man Backlash, the two-issue miniseries that uh, came out with Image. We'll be covering issue 3 of the Christos Gage-written X-Men Spider-Man miniseries. We'll be covering Spider-Man Unlimited number 17, which is the Mendelstrom-written issue. And we'll be covering Spider-Man Dead Man's Hand. Also, I'm going to cover a few of the Paul Jenkins-era um Spider-Man titles. I am going to briefly mention that he was that that Mendelstrom was in uh, issue four of the Amazing Spider-Man Volume Five, um, and then also just kind of talk a little bit about uh, the Squire Silver Surfer story. And literally, I do also want to acknowledge something uh, right here off the top of the episode. We had a view, listener that um, basically had mentioned that uh, he was no prizing it and wanted to do a no prize. We had mentioned, uh, failed to mention during the Mark of Cain arc that the costume that was the makeshift costume of Peter Parker was actually uh, parts from the symbiote costume. I thought we did in that episode, but I guess we did not. So I wanted to acknowledge him on the top of this episode. Secondly, I also wanted to, he also asked, um, I was talking about when we were talking about the lizard in the uh, little uh, lizard story that we did with Terry Gavinoff, as well as the lizard story that Ben Riley experienced. Why wasn't uh, Kirk Connors in jail? Because last time we saw him was like in Web of Spider-Man, he wasn't in jail. I think he got acquitted, though, on that. So, But I wanted to still acknowledge that because we, we didn't really make a good uh, acknowledgement of the situation. So that's partially why I think it was partially a surprise to some people about that. So I'm also going to cover, um, like I say, those aforementioned things, and there may be a couple odds and ends I'm doing at the end of the episode. This is kind of something that I've been hodgepodging together and go from there. So um, those are the issues that we're going to be covering on this particular episode. Uh, two that uh, of note that we'll have not covered in terms of miniseries. 
Um, we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be doing a whole Spider Island episode. I'm going to be doing a whole Spider Verse episode. So there's next, a lot of these next few episodes are going to be solo efforts to get all these completed and covered. For those that are wondering if we're going to be covering the Ben Riley series, I, I just haven't made the decision yet as to whether or not we're going to cover it. So I want to kind of get these all out of the way, get all the, get all the mini series and one shots. And I've done a lot of the guest appearances in the previous B side, but this is, this is to kind of, there's some things that I've discovered that we haven't covered yet that I feel we need to. Obviously the, the 60s stuff is going to be in 60s and 70s and 80s uh, stuff is stuff that I want to cover on this show. Um, but we want to mainly get through the 90s clone saga before we get that done. But uh, eventually we'll be wrapping this show up uh, and completing it uh, pretty soon. I, I, I'll be tell you, I'm shocked that the Ben Riley series has lasted as long as it has. Uh, I like Peter David. I like Will Sliney. I, I love Mark Bagley. But I'm, I'm a little shocked that the series has lasted as long as it has. But uh, we will we will get, be getting more to that. And um, I, like I say, I'm 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 excited uh, for what we got coming up. So moving on, we're going to be covering. We're going to start. I'm going to start with the. We're going to kind of work our way backwards. X Men Spider Man issue number three. I was going to start and work our way forwards, but I'm going to I'm going to start backwards. We're going to start with X Men Spider Man issue number three. Uh, Christos Gage wrote this series. Uh, Mario Al- Alberti did the uh, artwork throughout this and the uh, companion piece, which is Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four, both of which are very fun. So Christos Gage did the, was the writer, obviously, and artist was Mario Alberti. Uh, Jared Fletcher did the letters. Thomas Brennan did, was the assistant editor. Steve Wacker was the editor. Editor-in-chief at the time was, was Joe Quesada. Dan Buckley was the publisher. We open with uh, a fight a few years ago somewhere under New Jersey <laughs> uh, where the X-Men are fighting Dr. Sinister. Ben Riley then is is fighting, and the first time ever, and the only time ever, fight is fighting against Slide, that uh, dastardly villain from the '80s that's always been a little bit of a joke. X Men show up. He's like, "Oh, some time ago, you came to us because you've mentioned a, uh, you found a mention of our enemy in Craven the Hunter's files." He's like, "Yeah, I remember yesterday." And then Wolverine's like, "What are you playing, Webs? Look, I'm the same Spider-Man." You guys are used to lies. The new costume don't fool me, kid. You smell the same. What's the deal? Mind control, memory wipe. You want dope? Because it's the '90s and we're talking about dope. <laughs> anyway, so basically, um, Ben kind of gives a very brief mention of uh, his time with uh, during the Clone Saga during Peter Parker. And basically, this is apparently this takes place before that cameo appearance in the X Men title that I talked about in the last B side, where uh, Ben kind of shows up, thinks it's Marvel Girl, you know, yada yada yada. So like Ben talks about what he remembers, and and so and then we get uh, uh, Sinister's after a genetic sample from Cletus Cassidy, and this is obviously takes place after um, Web of Carnage because Ben knows exactly who Carnage is with the you know. Mr. Sinister, you know, gets rid of some people with through, having them go through the cat to the cafeteria for something. Mr. Ca- oh, he's at Ravencroft. I'm sorry. So uh, Cassidy shows up, and Cassidy's like, "Die, die, die!" You know, uh, as he was in the '90s. And so, um, then Sinister and the X Men start fighting, and with you know Carnage is fighting the X Men as well. Uh, punchy, punchy, run, run. And then uh, Sinister then probes the mind of Ben Riley, and uh, he's like, "You're a mockery of life." And so, 
Needless to say, the issue ends. Basically, Ben starts questioning if he's. If he, I'm not a man. I'm a clone. Uh, and Sinister's like, "Oh, this will be a far superior clone," which is being to be revealed as Grave and the Hunter, a mutated version of Grave and the Hunter. So let's let's talk about. Let me go over what I liked about this issue. One, the uh, the artwork is good. I I, I think um, uh, there's a there's a style to this artwork that if you've never seen Mario Alberetti's artwork, it's it's kind of like a painted type style, um, very unique and very distinctive. Um, I like it. I, I like his Spider-Man. I like how he drew Ben. Uh, I thought everything looked really good. This was again published in March of twenty uh, of two thousand nine. Um, so it was published actually six months before the show started. So, um, which is probably why we never covered it. I'm surprised. I don't know why we never covered this book, but nevertheless. Uh, Ben Riley shows up in this book, and and look, you could have easily had it been P- Peter Parker, but making it Ben Riley is was unique. Um, Christos Gage has expressed that he he is a fan of Ben Riley, and he enjoyed writing this particular book. Uh, I liked how he did it. I liked I liked what he did. I liked how he got Ben's characterization down pretty pat. Uh, so I enjoyed it very very much. So before we move on to the next issue, I want to give a grade for uh, the. X-Men Spider-Man issue. I'm going to give it a B. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought the artwork was good. I thought the writing it was pretty good. Uh, now, granted, the next issue kind of ruins the miniseries because, like, why do we need a, a Mr. Sinister version of Craven for reasons? There's a reason it's never been picked up ever, ever, ever again. Um, so, but other than that, in terms of this issue by itself, I enjoyed it. Uh, if you can go pick it up, go pick it up and, and read it there. So we're going to switch gears. We're going to go to Spider-Man Unlimited number 17. This is Peter Parker as Spider-Man. So there's a hospital in uh, in Manhattan shortly before dawn, and there's a box full of just trinkets or things. And so the, the, story, the title of the story is called I, Robot Master, written by Glenn Greenberg. Joe Bennett did the pencils. Joe Bennett, uh, this being kind of the, early, like the more closer to what he would do in Amazing Spider-Man after the Clone Saga uh, version of Joe Bennett. Uh, so Peter is running to the hospital because they've got a hot scoop with Betty Brant, and then all of a sudden there's a bunch of robots you know, like these little brick, you know, it was love at first sight. All, everybody gets these little trinkets, these little robots, and uh, some of them look like Galactus. But one in particular disturbs Peter greatly, and it looks just like Mendelstrom, the robot master, right down to the robotic armor he wore during the last encounter during the infamous Revelations storyline. So Betty Brandt's like, you know, Peter's like, it looks like he just saw a ghost. And, uh, you know, Betty's like, oh, I apologize for his extremely professional behavior. And then Betty's like, oh, my God, it's because they just had a baby they lost. Because the only person that is allowed to reference it is, wait for it, drumroll, please, Glenn Greenberg. All right, so uh, we then get uh, Peter going through and giving exposition, explaining to the reader what has been going on. We we talk about what happened with Mendelstrom originally when he first fought him. Then we talk about the stuff with Gaunt and P- and Peter. Then we cut to the Daily Bugle with Arthur Stacy showing up and talking to Robbie Robertson. Then we have him meeting uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Then Peter's showing up. They met in Peter Parker Spider-Man 77. So this takes place about five, six months afterwards. Um, probably six months afterward, after the uh, Revelation storyline. So they basically um, kind of go over the case of what's been going on and talks. Of, and, and then Peter shows up. You know, or Peter 
goes to goes home to Queens, and he wakes up at three o'clock in the morning. And usually, Mary Jane's on that side of the bed, but oh wait, she's pulling on all nighter. And and Mary Jane in this issue is being played by uh, Cameron Diaz. If you look at the artwork, she looks just like Cameron Diaz. Now, um, and basically they're sitting there talking about it, and Peter goes out to search for what for answers. So needless to say, Peter's hanging out at the hospital, and then he sees Mendelstrom giving a bunch of uh, giving another box, and he's like Strom. And then Strom's like, thank God, you know who I am. So then, uh, basically, Peter goes and takes him back to the, uh, <laughs> back back to his lair, because he's like, I'm trying to figure it out. Arthur Stacy then follows in pursuit. And basically, Strom fills him in on what's been going on. He was he was hit with, you know, a, a huge blast. He, he had a bunch of burns on top of his head. He thought, you know, he's basically left for dead. And uh, he then starts you know, using muscle memory to start creating these little robots and his, his mind's eye. Well, then Peter makes the mistake of mentioning it's an actual replica of the suit you wore recently when you were in the league with Norman Osborn. Do you remember that name? Does it mean anything to you? And then all of a sudden, boom, busts in with this giant 90s Kirby-esque robot. Like, and he's just angry. He's got the crazy eyes and he's, so Peter is fighting him, right? And, and uh, eventually defeats him. But uh, then, basically, the uh, as the letters, you know, there's the letters pages. Then we have the last bit of the issue where um, everything's starting to collapse around him. And Peter saves Mendelstrom's life while he's lifting the machinery. He's like, grab freaking Strom and get him to safety. Don't, don't just stand there. And he's like, I could pull his mask off and he wouldn't be able to stop me. He could finally learn the truth, the answers for so long. But what about the man on the ground? He'll die if I don't grab him now. Uh, so he's sitting there just thinking, dot, dot. I mean, there, this must have been like 10 to 15 seconds, all these thought, thought balloons going in. And it's like dramatic purposes. Um, Peter then throws the piece of machinery off, and uh, he, he's got a phone call to make, 7.35 in the morning. You know, Arthur's thinking to himself that he hasn't had this much excitement in a long time. And he's, she's like, I got a call from a reliable source and telling you to get over here right away because a hospital back manufacturer mystery has been solved. And then, like, Betty's like, I don't care, I got the scoop, yay! Which is consistent with her characterization in Unlimited, which we'll get to in a little, which we'll, uh, um, which we've already covered, you know, uh, if you remember in one of our last couple of episodes. So then Peter shows up at Ashley Kafka's uh, office to check on his, um, his mental state. Peter then brings, um, a signed poster of Spider-Man to Timmy, the guy that he bought the, brought the, we grabbed the the trinket from the, the little action figure, <laughs> and he's like, he wasn't wearing that cool costume he had a few months back, but it's okay, I guess. And uh, you know, basically, it's like, oh look, a horrible loose end from that horrible night's finally turned tied up. It's fine to move forward, Mary Jane, once and for all. The end. Yeah, yeah. F you. I don't like that ending. It was just kind of like da 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 da. Um. So let's talk about what I liked. I like the artwork. I thought Joe Bennett was good in this issue. I love, this is not a, anything that's been particular for this issue. I just love the, the fact that they've got uh, these, uh, it just brings me back to my, nine, my 90s nostalgia, the ever unlimited Spider-Man uh, little bifold cover inside the cover, basically giving you a recollection on what's going on. You didn't actually need that exposition in the story, which is kind of cool, uh, but it also means that there wouldn't be as, that as a storytelling device. So, like I say, it's it's a, it's a good issue, not a great issue. I enjoyed it. Basically ties up the Strom subplot that 
you know, basic, uh, uh, which really wasn't a subplot. I'll be honest. I mean, this was published in August 1997, so it's almost a almost a year after uh, Revelations. So, like, it, it's no big deal for me. I'll say this: Strom was not the most important character in Revelations. Although the revelation was kind of like, who? But we know who it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be Harry. We learned that from Life of Riley, but I, I think that that's a, you know, it's, it's just one of those stories that's just like, okay, whatever. Betty Brandt behaving like Betty Brandt. I like Betty. I liked this version of Betty where she was the, you know, the go-getter reporter type that they were starting to play with in these issues. You know, like I say, it's not a bad issue. It's, it's an issue that uh, if, you, if you can get it, great. Um, if you can't get it, that's fine too. But we're going to be covering, like I say, we're going to be covering several more issues in this particular deal. But I wanted to kind of work our way backwards. So next up, we're going to be covering Spider-Man Dead Man's Hand. Now, this is a story that I remember when it came out. This was like one of the first one-shots I ever got. So I'm pulling out from my from my protective sleeve my copy of this issue, Dead Man's Hand. I read this multiple, multiple times because I remember that it was one of the few times that I'd seen that uh, Ben Riley was referenced. This was published in April of 97. Um, and it's a, it's a one shot written by, um, Roger Stern, Derek Robinson and, and Dan Laws with the pencilers. Uh, we start with a, we're start, we start at shield where Dr. Allen is caught in a fl- flame of fire, but he's, he's basically kind of going mentally insane. All of a sudden aces and eights, aces and eights. It's all so simple. Aces and eights. And then we have Peter Parker doing his best Hamlet impression. We get a bunch of exposition about, you know, his time. And then we get, uh, Mary Jane in the shower. Uh, talking about how she, he's doing his best Hamlet impression. We get a carrying copy. We basically get the carrying copycat. We get more exposition as to as the the nature of carrying, and that's basically this is divided up into chapters. So we're zombies in the subway. This is the third carrying. The first carrying was um, Malcolm McBride, or excuse me, a clone of Warren, but it was always kind of ambiguously left up if it was Malcolm McBride or not. So uh, Peter then fights the zombies. He goes to Shield. Um, Dum Dum Dugan shows up. Then all of a sudden, the Tinkerer shows up because reasons. Tinkerer fell through the wall. Apparently, Tinkerer had a teleportation device. So basically, you enter the coordinates where you'd like to go in the main computer system, and then bingo, you're there. Wristbands the link to the grid. He's like, I know someone better that we need to go talk to. Uh, he's asking what the uh, what the range is. Basically, Tinkerer's son is caught up with all the all the zombie stuff and uh, timping. <laughs> <laughs> Tinker was like attempting to te- teleport him into the heart of a volcano, but if he knows someone who can save my son, he's like it might save uh, hundreds of lives. He's like this guy doesn't have a telephone; he likes to keep to himself. He fed the computer the coordinates of the region you showed me with uh, with luck. He should be getting where you're going alive. Uh, and then we get to chapter three: Voices from the Past, where the High Evolutionary shows up. There's a lethal virus. And then we get the um, exposition as to what was going on. Then we get the uh, fact that, that Scarlet Spider told me that you had altered jur- uh, Miles Warren's journals to make him believe he'd failed in his attempts to clone Spider-Man and Gwen Stacy. Um, you know, he's like, you should be partially responsible for the creation of Carrion, including the virus. He's like, enough, I do not wish to discuss this further with you. You have to take some responsibility with us. Be gone. <laughs> so then Mary Jane just shows up for reasons. And then he walks through the walls where the where the um, tinkerer 
<laughs> conveniently, like when when Peter shows back up, the tanker, uh, Peter gets the journals. He's like, uh, get the get the journals over to Shield Command, and um, Carrion's fighting, and then all of a sudden, Alan and and the voice in his head keep fighting back and forth, and finally he's like, enough. It's me, Miles Vaughn, the one true carrion. The body is mine now. You see, the first carrion you face was a clone of me, created to become a living corpse and incubate for five years so that its cells could carry within them the viruses I intended to use to destroy mankind. But that clone was released too soon, and you destroyed it just as you killed Gwyn Stacy. Now it's my turn to kill you! He's like, still hung up on Gwen Warren. Some things never change. He's like, my hands! Your death touch will be useless with your hands covered. He's like, I told you I'd have everything under control, Warren. You were playing games, Alan. Spider-Man has to be destroyed. Spider-Man has to be destroyed. You risked my life to kill him. I should have never let my guard down. I shouldn't have let you invade my body. Without me, you wouldn't have none of this power. This body is mine. I won't let you control it, Dr. Allen, I presume. Tell me, Chuckles. How do we do the cure the people you've infected? There is no cure. Once I have them, they are mine until they die. That's what you think, smack. Or pow. Nox, uh, had no idea his body was so fragile that it would knock his teeth out. So it's super gross. So he's being examined by a bunch of sealed scientists. So, um, Dr. Wyndham, the center of the disease control, aces and eights, the cards that Wild... Bill Hancock was holding when he got shot in the back of the dead man's hand. Alan was referring to a radical mutation in the first and eighth chromosomes in the human genome. They told us the, where to look for the key to curing the zombie plague. Those mutations account for the change in Carrion's powers and his incomplete memories of Miles Warren's life. Also explains why the Carrion... New Carrion did not know you are Peter Parker and Ben's or Peter's like, What? Fear not, Spider-Man. I've taken precautions to keep your friends here from overhearing our conversation. So Dr. Wyndham, as in Windagore Mountain, uh, was the high evolutionary. And um, as Miles, Miles, do you use the knowledge for me taking, uh, to create the carrying virus? I do bear some of the responsibility for writing this wrong. His genetic structures differ significantly from Malcolm McBride's. His personality is far stronger. That's why Warren's genetic programming was not able to control, let him, to control him completely. Here is Warren's journal. I have expunged from its pages all formulae which might be proved too dangerous or too tempting for S.H.I.E.L.D. to have, though I've left a, just enough information to perhaps develop a cure for Carrion himself. Dum Dum Dugan's like, hey, where'd he go? The, the end, Dead Man's Hand is done. Okay, so like I say, a, a good one-shot um, kind of explains the ambiguity because there was some question as to whether or not uh, the first Carrion was a clone or not. So that kind of uh, solves that mystery slash issue that was that had occurred. So, like I say, I love Derek Robinson's art. I, he's one of been one of my favorites, and this was the issue that actually made me a Derek Robinson fan. I loved his work on this book. He's always been a guy that just really does well. So I, I love and Roger Stern. This is an A. I mean, if you if he can pick it up, it's a it's a self contained story, but it does have a lot of continuity in it. We go from there. I, I'm going to cover something that Mark Teixeira does the artwork. Uh, Kurt Busiek was the writer. This is the Spider-Man Legacy of Evil story. And basically, I'm going to kind of just... Um, Liz Osborne was told through the perspective of Ben Yurick. So, Ben Yurick is, you know, talking about the story and, and uh, 
Normie is kidnapped by the Goblinettes. There's a trio of goblin animatronic beings. It would be easy to figure out if either Harry and Norman were alive. Little Normies and Osborne, they, they'd want them, but they're not. They're dead. So Peter is Spider-Man. So this kind of ambiguously takes place during the Clone Saga, but par- partially right before. But it's kind of, you know, who's working for the Green Goblin? He's dead. Then we go through goes to the past, um, where it's the issue where Spider-Man and the Human Torch fight the Green Goblin. We then go through it. Basically, goes through a lot of the history of, of Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, including Gwen Stacy, and then Molten Man gets confronted, or gets, and Peter try to confront these robot Goblin chicks. Where then we get to um, advanced this really advanced AI goes to the past, not ready to rest. So then we got. Ah, the reporter. Benjamin York, is it? I've read your work for years, father and son. Fine work. You've got an eye for the telling detail. Please join my wife and daughter-in-law on the dais, as you can be our witness. The world's momentous occasion this is. Uh, But as for you, Spider-Man, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to die. And then we have, you know, Liz trying to save Normie. She's like, uh... Do you want to be a man like your daddy and grandpa? And he's like, I, I want my mommy. I want my mommy. Typical. Fine, then. I've been waiting for you to accept your legacy, but I now know that to become men, some boys just need a little push. Join us, boy. This is your legacy, your birthright. This is your destiny. And then Peter barely saves Normie. And then all of a sudden, everything just goes to kablooey. You know, Spider-Man's been drugged. And he's like, what... What was it that changed the green, the original Green Goblin from a power-hungry crime lord to a lunatic, a revenge-obsessed lunatic? He knew, and I knew, and he couldn't. He couldn't stand the thought of, the thought of, no, I can't tell you, Ben. That's one question that's going to have to go unanswered. It's all right. I have a suspicion where it would lead. And I've been down that road once with Daredevil. I don't need any more, uh, I don't need any more stories I'll never write. Let the man keep his secrets. I break my promise to myself and I go to the bugle and I write up the story for the next day's edition. And then he goes, gets a field to call from City Hall. And another one, another one, until Jonah and Robbie stuff me into a cab and tell me not to come back and he's done until he's done with the first draft. And sure, there's a few facts to chase down, but he's got the heart of it. The Legacy of Eagle. The true story of the Green Goblin. The book being written by Ben Yurick. So this is the, the Legacy of Evil um, Green Goblin story that... Uh, Took place. It was published during the Clone Saga. In fact, let me look at the publishing. Published in June of '96. Um, so it was published during the Clone Saga, but I don't know if it takes place. In, it, it actually takes place a little before Green Goblin number zero or number one. So uh, it takes place in there while well, Peter was still Spider-Man. So um, that gets a B. Love the Mark Teixeira artwork. Beautiful, gorgeous artwork. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, we, we move on from there. All right, we're going to switch gears. Uh, I'm going to do the Spider-Man Collector's Preview. Now, this is a this was published in December 1994. Um, it's basically a, like a, it was a $1.50. And it had um, some really cool stuff. It had a great Mark Bagley scroll at Spider, Spider-Man cover. It's got the Prowler on it. It's got uh, Otto, and it's got Puma. And uh, Closed Eyes, Aunt May, Jonah and Robbie, and Mary Jane. So, basically, uh, it talks about clothing the clone, and it gives you the this, this sketches and how Tom Lyle helped design the Ben Riley Scarlet Spider costume. Um, and then we get some 
Mark Bagley-inspired costume. Some of these you know, really, really cool. All these are up on Spidey Dude. They basically to cho chose a variation of the two. Um, and then we had a... <laughs> um, Fred Hambick little one-pager. Then we have an interview with J.M.D. Mateus and uh, Mark Bagley. So Bagley and D. Mateus, their amazing Spider-Man team. Um, we have a uh, the lowdown on on everything. Basically, this is like a like a Wizard magazine. We have the Spectacular Spider Men, where we have Salby Sim and Tom DeFalco, Relentless Foes of Spider Man, uh, Howard Mackey and Tom Lyle interviews. Um, they talk about the Venom. Uh, an excerpt. They have an excerpt from the Venom Factor, the uh, the Amazing Spider, the Ultimate Spider Man prose novel, um, Citizen Spidey. They're talking about um, Stephen Butler. Coming on from Silver Sable to uh, Web of Spider-Man. Um, we have a little bit of Spider-Man 2099 stuff, but then some really cool stuff like the animated series discussion, which I'll probably bring a lot of this up. Uh, the Spider-Man movie, the K James Cameron movie, the toy team of the of the animated series toys. So really, really cool collector's item. Uh, I really enjoy it. I wanted to mention it on this episode since it's a one-shot. It's really not a comic book per se, but it's a very cool collector's item. A lot of the pages are up on spidey-dude.com. You can find those um, in there. Um, so we're going we're gonna to move forward to <laughs> what if the Scarlet Spider killed Spider-Man. So basically, this is a story that takes place during the... Uh, parts of it take place... Uh, beginning towards the end of the Clone Saga, ironically enough, where Mary Jane has, gives birth to a little girl that has the Riley blue eyes. That's going to be a, a foreshadowing device. Um, we then go back to uh, Web of Spider-Man number 129 of uh, part two of Time Bomb and, and where this story diverges. Basically, uh, Ben throws a, pulls a, a machinery on, on Peter and Peter, like, Defights every instinct not to jump out of the way and basically dies. Ben washes up uh, up a couple of days later, and uh, we get that uh, there's blood poisoning with the with his daughter, and they can't cure it. Uh, we get a random giant 50 foot tall symbiote because reasons. Um, ben rarely breaks out the Spider-Man costume unless he absolutely has to. Ben has a dream that uh, the doctor Michael Morbius is treating the Scarlet Spider. Uh, but then, as he's jumping to go get his Spider-Man suit, Mary Jane's like, isn't this more your style? And, you know, basically, uh, Peter's trying to, uh, or Peter slash Ben is trying to do it all. Um, ben then goes into May's room, and suddenly somebody's taking May. We then, Ben's, you know, uh, grabs the costume, and he's flying out into the world, and Ben Riley is wearing his Scarlet, or his Ben Riley costume, and... Baby May is like, what's up? Blah, blah, blah. She's probably like two or three years old at this point. Ben, it's heavily insinuated that this version of the Green Goblin is actually Harry. And uh, that May, suddenly May is flying and falling from the, uh, from the top of the bridge. Uh, ben saves May, uh, grabs the mask of the Green Goblin. Also, has a, The Green Goblin claims he has an impossible cure using the Goblin Serum. He gives that cure to uh, Mary Jane, where Mary Jane reveals that it's actually that she he knows that it's ben, that she knows that it's Ben Riley, 
and how uh, Ben Riley needs to go work on his his own self. So, with that being said, uh, what do I think about this issue? Uh, first of all, I can tell you a lot of what I think about this issue by telling you who wrote it. Um, writer is Terry Kavanaugh. So, uh, it's a C. Uh, Doug um, Bernacquar. Uh, I'm tr- the the font is very hard to read. Bernacquar, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm no, I'm butchering that name. So I apologize. It, it's okay artwork. Um, far worse stuff I've seen in a, in a what if um, issue. 80. This is volume two of 86. This was published in June of 1997, I believe. On the inside of, uh, just to kind of go through the ads for a second, it does have the Spider-Man cereal, which was like a horrible Chex Lucky Charms mix with with uh, Sal Buscema artwork. They basically have then take take this uh, from this issue and moving forward it was it became a lot darker story a uh, group of stories the what ifs um more like noirish um you could tell they were kind of struggling and they would struggle for another year or two before they finally closed up shop so uh yeah i mean it's one of those if you're a completist go pick it up this is this was talked about a lot in the uh, life of riley series and it took it takes a lot of these elements in there uh, and talks about that. So if you've read Life of Riley, this this stuff, uh, this is one of the m- several alternate endings to the Clone Saga that they had originally envisioned. Kind of hodgepodge taking the stuff from Maximum Clone slash Time Bomb and, and taking elements from what ended up being in Revelations. So so my overall grade my overall grade on this is a is a C minus. It's not a great issue. It's not a terrible issue. It's just kind of there. Uh, we then cut to we're going to cut to uh, what if Spider-Man's clone had lived. Issue uh, volume one, issue thirty. This was published in uh, on publishing date of December of nineteen eighty one. Um, we cut to where uh, Spider Man or ASM one forty nine, one forty eight, and it kind of talk gives a recap of that story. But then it gives you the divulging moment where uh, instead of them kind of still fighting each other, Ben kind of sucker punches. Um, Spider-Man sucker punches the other Spider-Man and saves Ned Leeds himself. Um, after he knocks the the Spider-Man out, he puts him in a cryo tube. He gets, but uh, when he gets to his familiar home in Forest Hills, everything's boarded up. Things are, like he has a real hard time going going through. He's like, the neighbors thought I was nuts asking so many questions, but I found out that Aunt May's living with Miss Watson. So then she shows up. Aunt May gets some cookies, and Peter's really confused and. And he's like, Mr. Robinson, how's it going? He's like, Mr. Robinson, hey, bucking for a raise, Mr. Parker. He's like, um, yeah, I'm Joe. Robbie, Peter, it's Robbie. And then he's like, hey, there's somebody I'm really glad to see. Be- uh, Joshua Lambert, Tony's favorite character of all time, Betty Brandt. Um, he's like, the husband. Oh, Mary, Betty must have married Ned Leeds. And he's like, all confused. Like, apparently this was, like, his, according to this, the Ditko era was when he took all this stuff. Um, he has, he's having a hard time time remembering and then he comes to the realization that he is the clone of Peter Parker and uh, so Peter then goes to Warren's lab steals a bunch of Warren's notes because he doesn't because a lot of it has intimate knowledge of you know Peter Parker being Spider-Man Peter goes to ESU on and off he's trying to get through his graduate studies he runs into Flash Flash and him are friends then the Kingpin shows up Peter doesn't realize it's the Kingpin before Peter realizes that he needs to go talk to, you know, I don't know, the original. So we're going to call him Ben Riley from, from this point on. Ben Riley realizes he needs to go talk to Peter. He can easily pull the plug, um, busts Peter out. 
Ben then disguises himself as Peter Parker using Warren's clothes. So he's taking pictures. Kingpin takes him hostage. They're fighting at Coney Island. Uh, apparently, Kingpin spent days, you know, modifying rides at Coney Island to fight Spider-Man with. Peter defeats Kingpin pretty easily. He's like, my men have Peter Parker, Spider-Man. If you don't let me go, then they will kill him. He's like, okay, you win. Take a walk. He's like, thought you'd see it my way. Hey, what about Peter? Don't you move and he won't be hurt. No, fools. Watch it, Spidey. These creeps don't play by, uh, Hoyote or whatever. Pretty slick moves, Mr. Parker. Well, what do you know? These warps weren't so tight. Snap, snap. Kill Parker, kill Parker. Perhaps that will keep Spider-Man busy while I escape. He's like, no, why are you coming after me? Why aren't you saving the boy from men? Oh, P- Peter? Oh, I thought you knew. He's been to Spider-Man summer camp. <laughs> okay. He's like, hey, your pals fell asleep. Yeah, no fun at all. Smile for the camera, Spidey, you suave devil. So um, they go back to Peter's apartment. He's like, hey, it's been great, but I guess I thought you'd live your life. Right idea. I'll change uh, I'll change my name and go somewhere new. He's like, you got copyright on it? And he's like, well, then they come up with the idea that he'll be, you know, Spider-Man on certain days and things like that. So uh, that is more or less what happened in issue 30 of What If... So, yeah, I, you know, not a bad issue. It's a, it's a B, it's a B for me. Um, it's better, I think, than the Scarlet Spider killed Spider-Man issue. So I, you know, like I say, they, it's one of those that I've enjoyed on and off. So I think of all the miniseries, we've covered pretty much damn near everything. Um, we talked about the Jackal Files. We talked about the Clone Journal. Uh, they're essentially like just March 90, 1995. On the, they're a super special. For three bucks, you could get the clone journal with basically recapped artwork. It's just, yeah, it's no big deal. Um, it's basically three bucks if you're if you're falling behind. And then the Jackal Files literally is just features stories between before uh, clones before the uh, during maximum clonage. It's got a, a few cool things about like how. Um, you know, Scarlet Spider's impact webbing works and the utility belt and Spider-Man's mask and the web shooters. Those are cool things. But other than that, really not essential readings. I think I've talked about that before. But uh, so we've covered, like I say, um, there is one, there, there is two issues that or yeah, really five issues that I want to cover in a DC Marvel versus Marvel special. We'll cover the two Spider-Boys, but that's more or less what's going on with those. Um, I want to cover the Backlash story. So this is the only, to my knowledge, uh, image crossover that occurred during the Clone Saga. Basically, it's uh, Backlash and Taboo are two characters in, that are in Image Comics. They have the, Taboo has a symbiote. Um, Venom shows up. As we know, Image Comics kind of sort of maybe takes place in the Marvel Universe, just in different pockets of the Marvel Universe. And basically... Peter and or Ben shows up. They fight. It's two issues. It's five bucks. I picked the trade paper back up at uh, San Diego Comic Con all those all these years ago when I went in 2011. Um, I met Josh and Don actually. Uh, it's it's not a bad story. It, the uh, the artwork is okay. Brett Booth did the pencils. Sean Ruffer did was the story. It, basically, it's 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 a, it's a D. It's not a great book. Um, if you're a completist, pick it up. But other than that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest it. Um, let's see. I think that we need to move on to the 
I think we need to move on to the 96 holiday special because I have not talked about that yet. All right, we're going to move on to the Spider-Man holiday special, um, which is the 1995 holiday special. Now, parts of this were published, the Clone Saga trades. So the first story uh, takes takes place, uh, Glenn Greenberg wrote it, it's a matter of faith, and the artwork was done by Kevin McGuire. Jimmy Palmiotti did the inks on this one. So... Ben Riley, Scarlet Spy- or Ben Riley, Spider-Man, shows up and saves some loved ones. Uh, this girl is jumping off the George Washington Bridge, and she gets saved. And she's like, "I don't want to be saved. I jumped. I have no reason to live." And so Ben then takes her through um, Times Square when he encounters the Scorcher. Fights the Scorcher. Base Jenny, base the Jenny, the aka the girl that's jumping off the bridge, saves a homeless person from, from being crushed. And um, Ben just basically just goes off. He's like, do you not think you can make a difference? She's like, a human being is alive because of you. That matters. You matter. And then so basically, it's, it's, a, it's a good little story, you know, based on what happened. We get a Venom story in the holiday special. Then we get Willie Lumpkin showing up at uh, May's grave. Where he meets Aunt Anna and they talk a little bit about about May, which is a really good story. All right, so then we cut to the fantastic Merry Christmas, Mr. Storm story, where basically uh, Ben or Peter and Johnny kind of have this tradition of meeting at the top of the Statue of Liberty and and exchanging, um, uh, basically exchanging Christmas gifts. And so he's like, "Well, I've kept secrets from you," and he's about to unmask and. Johnny's like, no, I don't need to see your ugly face. You know, here, Merry Christmas. He gives him a talking Venom doll because that's what that's what Johnny does. If you push the button, he says, I want to eat your brain. He goes, oh, good. My wife's going to love this because, yeah. And he's like, this one's for you. And, and um, he's like, huh, check the base. He's in case you ever need to talk. He uses the traffic copter to get away. And then they're Merry Christmas, Hot Ed, Merry Christmas, Webs. And so Johnny's thinking about all that. And then um, he's like, you're two hours late. So you could change your costume? He's like, sounds like you were expecting me. He's like, Christmas morning, does that ring a bell? He's like, listen, I think you got to be confused with somebody else. And they sit down and have a conversation. Again, this is the first time that they've actually seen each other since the ASM issue where Ben took over as Spider-Man in the Return of Spider-Man month where there was a little bit of conflict. This basically resolves a lot of that conflict. So it's a good overall story. Um, I had only read until recently the story, just those two stories that dealt with Spider-Man. The rest of them, like the Venom uh, and the Black Cat stories, were just kind of there. The Black Cat story is basically where Black Cat brings stuff to the orphanage, and it's actually—I don't think there's any dialogue. It's a—it's kind of a fun little story, and how um, she goes and steals presents for. <laughs> all the kids in the world, all these orphans and stuff like that. Then we get the Venom story. I had never read the Venom story. I don't care about the Venom story. All I know is that it takes the, play, it takes the bulk of the damn issue. Um, so, like I say, both both of those stories are, are, are bees for me. So uh, I did not... The cat... Um, so Merry Christmas, Sister Storm, Solly Finch, uh, Robert Brown, and Joshua Hood did the pencils. Al Williamson did the inks. Those two were the best stories. Uh, the rest of them are just kind of there. So... Um, Spider-Man Holiday Special 95. It's a, it's a good story. Um, so now, I think, outside of... we've you know I've covered Backlash. I didn't go into detail with back, the Backlash Spider-Man story because it's just not that good. Outside of that, um, I think we have covered everything but basically three stories. So, 
we've covered uh, Spider Boy team up, and Spider Boy will be covered with um, DC versus Marvel. I got a special guest lined up for that. Uh, that'll be coming soon. So. With that, uh, we're going to be moving on to... Uh, let's cover a couple of things, because I want to cover Mendelstrom's first appearance. And that is way back in the day. So Mendelstrom, believe it or not, was actually a Lee and Ditko creation. So Lee and Ditko created this character. It was issue number 37 of The Amazing Spider-Man. Literally, the issue before his final issue. So uh, it was edited and written by Stan Lee, plotted and drawn by Steve Ditko. Uh, apparently it was a doozy. We get Spider-Man um, <laughs> uh, fighting some some punk guys, wearing a hat, trying to be inconspicuous. We cut to the Daily Bugle, where we then see... Um, we uh, switch the scene where everyone seems to be so interested as we've visited the well-equipped hideout of Professor Strom. And... We then have a quick scene with with uh, Ditko Gwen Stacy, who is more who had much more of a personality. We, then we have um, Strom <laughs> with a little amoeba, and then like this amoeba like creature stalking and trying to steal stuff. And and Spider Man jumps in, fights it, um, com- completely fights it off. And then and, and then. He's got he's got his uh, you know his classic you know giant eye Ditko esque very much like a regular supervillain. In the first robot served admirably, but now it's useless. So um, then he does the second one. We then see Norman Osborn and Harry Osborn in the uh, same issue, and and we quick quickly see uh, Jonah Jameson. Uh, so then um, Foswell then puts on the identity of Patch. Peter's looking around, follows Patch, sees Strom's latest creation with the giant laser beam. Spidey tags it with his spider tracer, uh, fights it even though um, uh, Strom is, you know, trying to... Uh, basically, tr- Strom is trying to come after Norman Osborn, and Peter Parker ironically saves his greatest villain f- for the next thing. And even... even um, uh, Norman actually hits Spider-Man. He was too busy paying it to pay attention with me. The robot hasn't seen me yet either. So this literally suggests, if you're a fan of Norman Osborn, that Norman Osborn had something far sinister more going on, and even that was being done in the in the in the Spider-Man way. And and then like um, uh, Strom seemingly gets killed, and we then cut to uh, back to Norman and, and Jonah and all them talking, and then. You know, um, basically they were starting to set up the fact that Norman Osborn may be the Green Goblin. So next issue, we get the mysterious, we get to see more of the mysterious Mr. Osborn. We'll toss a new villain at you, enough said. Basically, just a guy named Joe was written, and then we, I don't think we ever saw anything more on, on Norman until issue 39. So, I mean, it's a good story. It's a Ditko issue. Uh, this was probably Ditko's one of Ditko's best issue drawn issues. His faces look better. You could see he was in far much more of a groove. The art was even a little more dynamic. Everybody looks more humanoid. They're not kind of as weird and quirky as they once were. Uh, you can see the foundations of what was being done with Norman Osborn, and so obviously we've got to cover that and 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 make sure that that's discussed and talked about. So, yeah, I mean, it would be a great disservice to not have that conversation today on this episode with we're doing odds and ends and trying to play catch up. So, yeah, uh, Mendelstrom, 
definitely a character that um, was very important. Now, during the Civil uh, superhero Civil War, I need to mention that there was a a, a several issue miniseries called Penton's Relentless, and it was the former the the man formerly known as Speedball. Um, looking for Mendelstrom and Mendelstrom basically uh, I'll explain what his situation was but basically he was kind of downloaded into something and uh, they awoke him Pentance is trying to you know get the information that he was looking for and unfortunately for Strom um, he literally uh, <laughs> um, is being basically he was put in the witness protection program and then he's being hunted. So it's kind of crazy how, um, how that goes. So, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Peter Parker, Spider-Man number volume, uh, two, number 27 and 28. Both were written by Paul Jenkins. This was a little bit more modern stuff, but basically, um, Peter Parker is looking for Mendelstrom. Do you want to know what was going on? Mendel basically was trying to contact Spider-Man through, through machines. And eventually Spider-Man finds him and realizes that there's nothing left, but, but Mendel's head, that's it. Uh, Mendel's body has pretty much been deteriorated away. And, um, and uh, eventually Peter Parker then, uh, uploads him into a virus and you kind of get the, the sense that he, um, you know, is kind of a, a sentient being, uh, and, and basically he gets put on this this loop to where he can kind of just sort of exist in peace. And so, um, more or less, that's what happened with with Mendelstrom. Now, um, I'm almost positive Strom appeared in a he made another couple of appearances. He made a brief appearance in uh, Peter Parker Spider Man uh, minus one. Um, he also made an appearance in the Civil War II Spider-Man storyline in issue two. Um, obviously, I mentioned a little bit ago that he ma- he's made an appearance in, in volume five, number four. But that, as as of this recording, is ongoing, so I don't want to get too far into that. But basically, he's he basically has built the Tri Sentinel. Um, clearly, he was mentioned in the in, in the uh, issues number thirty nine and forty of Amazing Spider-Man because he was a co-developer of the Goblin Serum. Um, he also appeared in the Green Goblin series as Gaunt and made an appearance in Untold Tales of Spider-Man, Volume 1, Number 8. Um, but that's pretty much it. I mean, that that is that is the list of, according to Marvel Database, that's the list of uh, appearances. Let me make sure. I'm going to check spiderfan.org. Uh, there was 21 total appearances. He, uh, yes, that's what I thought. So uh, he did. The Robot Master did show up in Spectacular Spider-Man number 69, um, or I'm sorry, uh, number 68. So we'll kind of cover that briefly. That was his second appearance. So um, just need to start going to spiderfan.org for all my appearances appearance lists so 1776 all right spiderfan.org 68 all right 
So uh, there was another appearance by uh, by Mendelstrom in, in Peter Parker Spider-Man number sixty-eight. Um, basically, it's called Hell Hath No Fury. They're like a robot scorn. Bill Mantlo. This is the Bill Mantlo run. Uh, ben and Peter, or Ben and May are at Ben Parker's grave, where it changed like six different times. Uh, Peter kind of uh, recaps a little bit of the origin, does a little bit of internal monologuing, where uh, there's somebody's desecrating a grave, and guy pulls a gun. Peter kind of attacks him, and uh, there's something familiar about the guy, but then. It was a wallet ID, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and then they would rob a grave of the Robot Master. And then, of course, he uh, seemed to have died in a with a heart attack in the issue 37 of Amazing, of, of Amazing Spider-Man. We then cut to uh, Deb Whitman, and you can definitely tell this is the Bill Mantlo run. Uh, a robot then attacks Spider-Man, and... Um, Basically, the, there's a discussion as to whether or not Mendelstrom is dead. These FBI agents then try to lock themselves in. Peter has some shenanigans. And um, Mendelstrom had no brother. And so, um, basically, it would be I would be better characterized as his son. So, basically, the, it was an android robot that Peter Parker fought. And if... Um, and basically, you know, no, no muss, no fuss. Uh, Mendelstrom was actually technically not alive. So why are we talking about it? Well, because that was technically the next appearance of the Robot Master. And that's why it made it so shocking that the Robot Master actually showed back up. So having read this issue, it's it's not a bad issue. I would recommend it if you're a completist, of course. But other than that, um, I'm not one of those guys that sits there and tells everybody, you need to read this, you need to read that. By being put in suspended animation in Peter Parker's Spider-Man number 2728, that was really kind of the end of it until uh, that Penton storyline, and then of course um, him making the other the most recent appearance. So that's basically all all you got. And uh, at one point he fights with Arcade, and so that was in Green Goblin number 10. So that's that was when he was still gaunt. Um, there you go. Now we've covered everything. I, I know I'm not going into like a super amount of detail on these, but I want to try to be as complete as possible and at least acknowledge some of these some of these smaller uh, you know appearances and things like that. Because uh, most of the time, it's not really um, we see a little bit with multifacts, but other than that, I mean that's Green Goblin number ten. So that's just a it's yeah it's it's a weird. That's just Tom DeFalco being Tom DeFalco acknowledging that it's not, it's not that's not essential. The, all the essential stuff we have now covered. So I suppose you're probably wondering at this point, what's left? What is left? What do we have left to cover? And um, first things first, uh, we want to cover um, the Ben Riley series. And uh, either I'm going to be covering that with someone, or I will be covering that by myself. Uh, but the next episode that's actually going to be coming out is actually going to be Spider Island. Um, <clears throat> hashtag. And uh, going to be covering that. And uh, probably Spider-Verse together, since it's just going to be me. Uh, and we're just going to be covering those issues as we go. And so um, Spider-Verse is going to be kind of controversial. I'll probably talk a little bit more about it. Uh, Spider-Island, um, 
I will probably talk about how Slot uh, intended it to be uh, the Jackal in that story and intended it to be Ben Riley retroactively, but it doesn't make any sense, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So with that, um, we've got Spider Island, we've got Revelations, we've got um, 101 Ways in the Clone Saga, and that's it. Um, except for the Carrion stuff and the early Clone Saga stuff, uh, that's pretty much all we've got left. Um, so I, I'm going to try to do an episode where we talk a little bit in more detail with detailed recaps of the original Clone Saga. I don't I don't anticipate going through issue by issue, just because there's a it, it's a subplot um, that really doesn't need. I mean, it goes through about ten issues. Um, we get the first appearance of the Jackal in the issue where he introduces the Punisher. And then you have other stuff along those lines. So uh, I, I just think at this point uh, it's going to be definitely um, one of those things where I'm going to be trying to get everything I can done as quickly and as humanly possible. So uh, very excited for the future. Uh, very excited for the podcast. And uh, with that, we will uh, we will say sayonara to this episode, and I will. See everyone uh, next time when we cover Spider Island. Hashtag, it'll be just me. Another solo effort, but uh, we will see you next time here on Clone Saga Chronicles, a podcast powered by Spidey-Dude.com and the Spidey Dude Radio Network. If you want to be a part of the program, be sure to leave us a voicemail, 818-925-6631. That's 818-9-CLONE-1. Or you can leave us an email, Clone Saga Chronicles at gmail.com. All right, we'll see you next time, webheads. Webheads.